Ephesians chapter 2. And let's read verse 10 again. I'm reading from the New King James Version. I'm just going to pray. Father, I just thank you for it's a great time in your presence already, and you've spoken to us through different words that have come. Father, I just ask that you would open our hearts to receive your word this morning, and it would do us good in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is an amazing verse of Scripture, isn't it? It highlights a number of things. It highlights the detail of God's plan for us. Beforehand, another Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 1, that we were in Him before the world began. So He has planned out some specific good works for us to move in. When you talk about good works, it's not just sort of giving a casserole to your neighbor, which is a great thing to do, especially if you can cook. If you can't, don't bother. But, you know, if you can cook a good casserole to your neighbor is great. But it's talking something more specific than just acts of kindness. It's talking about good works. We need to understand what the Bible means by the word good. From a Hebrew mindset, it means functional, but God attributes goodness to glory. So, for example, when Moses asked to see God's glory, in Exodus chapter 33, you can look at it later, Moses asked to see God's glory, and what God did was simply say this to him, I'll pass by you and you'll see all my goodness. There's been a lot of misrepresentation of our God over the years, and also in what is called Christianity in the church. But let me say this to you. God is good, and He's always good. God is glorious, and He is always glorious. And God has prepared glorious works for us to move in. And the the scripture that Pat read this morning is significant because that was the work of Jesus, wasn't it? To set the captives free, to open blind eyes, to do supernatural things. God has called us to do supernatural things. And He's not just said, well, go on then, do it in your own strength. He's given us His Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And the Holy Spirit is there in us to help us do supernatural things. You are not just natural people. Turn to somebody and say, I'm supernatural. Now, now turn to somebody and say it like you mean it. Somebody, this doesn't look supernatural to me. That's just called abnormal. That's not supernatural, okay? Let, let's do it again, and let's say with, with great vigor, I'm supernatural. Praise God. Super duper natural, wow. I haven't got theology for that, Mark. That's brilliant. Is it? Great stuff. So God has prepared glorious works for us to, to, to move in, to do amazing things for him. There was one guy in the church in, in Keithley a couple of weeks ago. He'd never moved in a word of knowledge or prayed for somebody and see them healed. He's going to a particular course at the moment, and they emphasize on that course, stepping out in the supernatural. And he, um, at that particular course, had a word of knowledge that somebody had a, 
uh, an elbow problem, a tennis elbow problem that was giving them a lot of pain. And it was actually somebody in the group of about six people that he was in. And he prayed for this lady just simply, and she got healed immediately. So he was giving this testimony last Sunday in the, in the service. He gave his testimony. He's you know, a lovely guy, just very down to a simple fellow. Gave his testimony. And an 85-year-old lady hadn't been around for a long time because she'd been ill. She came that Sunday morning. Um, she's a real sort of, even though she's 85, she's, she's really with it. She's a, she's a Scottish sort of go-getter. And, and she, she, she just came forward. She says, you know, I've had this problem in my elbow. Can you just pray for me right now? He prays for her. She gets healed right there and then. This guy had never moved in it before. Never, ever moved. Never prayed for anybody. Didn't have a long list of testimonies. But he just, something in him just decided that I was born to step out in the supernatural. And he's been encouraged in his identity. It's interesting, this verse starts with that, that we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for glorious works. We're a glorious workmanship. One translation, the New Living Translation, says that we are his masterpiece. You see, the start of us moving in the supernatural is knowing who we are and knowing we're loved. When we know we're loved by our Father and we, know, we start to know who we are, it's going to be easy to move out in supernatural works. Why? Because supernatural people move in supernatural works. It's just simple. It's really, really that simple. We had a guy at Hope College a couple of weeks ago, again, just a, quite a regular, normal guy, a businessman, who was sharing. He'd set up a, a particular glorious work called Star Dream. And basically, he goes around psychic fairs. He goes around all sorts of different conventions in Ilkley in Yorkshire every year. There's a particular a witches' convention that takes place there. So he goes and sets up a stall with his team and does spiritual readings and praying for the sick and, and words of knowledge and dream interpretation. And he's very upfront that he does it through the power of Jesus. You know, the last two years at the Ilkley Festival when he was there, he had a line longer than any other line. Because it was actually working what he was doing compared to some of the other hit and miss stuff. And sometimes I think as, as Christians we kind of shy away from our heritage in the supernatural. Because we think if we get involved in that stuff there's going to be all sorts of problems or situations occur that we can't control. You know what control is fear based? And it's time for us to allow the spirit of God within us to bring liberty to us so we can step out and be the church. That, that we can have a situation where regularly, from even the children right the way through to the oldest adult, we know we can step out and do the things that Jesus did. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that you are God's workmanship? Created in Christ Jesus to do glorious works that God ordained before the earth began. What are those glorious works? Well, I've got to find out what they are. There's simply this, to continue the ministry of Jesus, to continue the work of Jesus. And what did he do? He went about healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the leper, casting out demons. He went about building people up and discipling people. He went about, what did he say? I will build my church. You know, the church is supernatural. You know that the enemy is afraid of the church. Why is he afraid of me? He is. He's afraid of you. Because you carry the glory of God, and you carry the love of God, and you carry the power of God. Amen? Amen.
Let's read on. Let's just read from verse 12 here. It says, At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What a beautiful picture. One translation of verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought into the Father's arms by the blood of Jesus. You have found a relationship, an intimacy with Father, from which we can go and do the works of a son. We can go and do the works that Jesus did. And it's interesting, it says that we were at one time aliens, not little green men, but we were outside of the commonwealth of Israel. We didn't have spiritual heritage. We didn't have natural heritage. We were, we, the, the, it's talking about the fact that there were certain people that were in and certain people that were out. But in Christ, we're all in. We're all in in Christ. And we have the commonwealth of Israel. What does, what, what, what is, what does Israel mean? Is he talking about the commonwealth and the state of Israel now and we can go there and take up some land in Israel. Sometimes when it starts getting cold in Yorkshire, you kind of feel that way, don't you? I'll go to Israel and set up a nice little farm and eat oranges. But, but that's not what it's talking about. Israel means the prince of God. So what's happening is that you and I in Christ, we were paupers and now we're princes. Our identity is being changed. And with that change in identity comes a change not only of identity, but of function, of thinking, of doing. You know, Paul addresses the church in Corinth. I think it's in, well, it's either in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. And he addresses the church in Corinth and he says this, I can't speak to you as I'd like to speak to you. I have to treat you as mere men because there are divisions among you. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, saw the church as supernatural, not just mere men. And it's interesting, it says that there were divisions amongst them. You know, the reason we, we, we get divisive is because we start to look at the stuff that we don't like in ourselves and other people instead of looking at the stuff that God sees. And we get divisive and we think, well, I'm not happy with that or I'm not happy with that in me and, and I feel bad so I'm going to make somebody else feel bad. And all that stuff is because we're not enjoying this new identity that Christ has given us. God wants us to see the gold in every single person because we know that he's seen the gold in us. What I mean by gold, I mean the Christ-likeness in us. And it says... That you were separated from the commonwealth, that you were strangers of the covenants of promise. Every promise that God had made in the history of the Bible, every promise he'd spoken, that was not for you and me. But in Christ, every single promise is for you and me. Every single promise is for you and me. You know, when I read the Old Testament, I, I, I just am I'm kind of amazed at some of the characters I find in the Old Testament. Supernatural characters. Do you see that when you read the Old Testament? You know, for example, David's mighty men. One of them, David's mighty men, killed 300 men with, with a spear in a field of lentils. 
I don't know why it gives that detail. Maybe you really like lentils. Maybe you like lentil soup and these guys were attacking his field. Whatever it was, he stood there and with supernatural prowess was able to kill 300 men. Another mighty man was walking on a snowy day, fell in a pit. There was a lion in the pit. So what happens? He kills the lion and carries on with his hike. This is supernatural. But it's interesting, all these mighty warriors that are recorded in the Old Testament in David's life, when they came to David, they came to a place called the Cave of Adullam. And it says that when these people came to David, it says that they were distressed, they were disinherited, they were indebted, they were disheveled, they were the worst or the least of the earth. And they came to David. And what happened, because of relationship with David, they came supernatural, mighty men and women. That's what happened to them. And David is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. Not the, not the naughty stuff he does, but the, 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 the heart of the man is a type of Christ. And around Christ, when we spend time with Jesus in his word, in his presence by his Holy Spirit, as we spend time together, we're supposed to be building each other up with this new identity God has given us. This identity that is a supernatural identity. This identity where with God, nothing is impossible anymore. Do you believe that? And sometimes because we face difficult circumstances in life, we face stuff that is really tough. And you know that stuff comes for one reason. Jesus talked about it. He says that persecution, pressure, and the word is pressure there, or suffering, pressure, comes for the word's sake. It comes to try and steal the identity that God's word puts inside of you. All the stuff in this fallen world system that comes at you, all the battles that sometimes we lose in terms of not seeing people come through to health when we pray for them, all those things, they, they defer the hope on inside of us and they make us sick on the inside to not see who we really are. Another place in the book of Isaiah, it says it's time to shake off the dust. All that stuff just puts a, a, a thin film, a veil, if you like, over who you really are. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that when you turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Just by refocusing our attention away from the stuff that's happening to us onto Jesus, onto what he says about us, the veil and the dust is taken away. And we find out who we really are. Amen? Go with me to a little book in, in the New Testament called Philemon. This is Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing a letter to his friend. But this is also a letter to us. And Paul writes something really important in verse 6. He says this, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. How does our faith become effectual? By us starting to acknowledge Every good, every glorious thing that God has put in us in Christ Jesus. Our faith is not effective unless we start to acknowledge who we really are. And unless we start to, start to acknowledge the goodness and the glory that God has put inside of us. It's not psyching ourselves up or bigging ourselves up or making ourselves more than we are. It's actually 
obeying the word of God. By saying, I have glory in me, I have goodness in me, because of what Jesus has done for me. And I, I, I just think that so often we can focus on all the things that we don't like about ourselves, or we don't like about other people. We can focus on stuff that, and acknowledge stuff constantly in our own confession, in our own words. We can acknowledge stuff that actually gets us down, or gets other people down. But our faith actually doesn't become effective by the amount of books we read. It doesn't become effective by how much head knowledge we have. Our faith becomes effective when we start to see that God has placed his goodness in us and start to acknowledge that. That's what, when our faith becomes effective. That's when God can start to move through us. With that in mind, let's turn to Acts 28. I just want to turn to a, a story in the life of Paul. Acts 28. Now, just before we read this particular account, just to give you some background, God's told Paul that he's going to have a shipwreck and that over 200 people on the ship, they're all going to be spared and everything's going to be okay, but they're still going to go through a shipwreck. That's not the kind of words you want to receive, is it? Thanks, God. I'm really looking forward to that. Can you not do something even more supernatural so we don't have to go through this shipwreck? But that's what God said to him. So he could have been pretty down about that. I'm going to get wet and it's cold. Even in the Mediterranean sometimes it gets cold. And it was raining and he's going to go in the sea. And he was in chains so he could have drowned because he was a prisoner on this ship. Things are not going well. But this same Paul is the one who said to his mate Philemon, he said, I want you to acknowledge every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. Because then your sharing of your faith will be effective. So let's see how he handled it. So this is Luke, Dr. Luke, speaking about this, what happened to Paul and those that were with him in chapter 28, verse 1. Now, when they had escaped from the shipwreck, they then found out that the island that was was called Malta that had been washed up on. And the natives in the island showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. Paul was a good administrator. They weren't building the fire properly, so he added more sticks to the fire. He had a gift of administration, obviously. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, Yet justice does not allow him to live. That sounds good, like good religious talk, that doesn't it? You know, God will get you for that. Ooh, you've done that. What's going to happen? Karma, mm, all that sort of stuff. It's going to come back on you. You watch. You know what? Paul was a murderer. Killed Christians left, right, and center. Some of the greatest saints that have ever lived. He was there approving of their murder, of their torture by stoning. He was the equivalent in our day of a commander in IS. He was a terrorist, a religious terrorist, an extremist. He was a murderer. So I wonder when they're mumbling all these people around the fire and he's got a big viper attached to his arm. I wonder if the thought could have possibly entered his mind. 
my sins are finding me out. And man, I'm, this is catching up on me now, what's happened. The consequences of my past are catching up on me. And look, here's, here's a snake to prove it. It's interesting, when these sort of murmurings go and these sort of thoughts come into your mind, there's always a snake behind it, or the devil, isn't there? But Paul was the one who practiced acknowledging every good thing that was in him in Christ Jesus. So he just shook the snake off into the fire. Let's read on. Verse 5, he shook this creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. <laughs> just think about this. This is real people, just like you and me. Around a fire, viper comes out, attaches it to this guy's arm. He throws the viper off. They're waiting with mouths wide open, bated breath. This guy, we already think he's obviously a murderer. He's been in a shipwreck. God's favor is clearly not on him. He's been shipwrecked, gets on a beach. First thing that happens, bam, a snake gets him. I mean, this guy doesn't look like he has the favor of God in his life, does he? He was one of the most favored men that ever lived. Don't let your circumstances dictate your identity. Don't let your circumstances dictate your identity. Your identity is always in Christ regardless of your circumstances. Your identity is always loved regardless who's against you. Your identity is always healed regardless of the current situation you may be going through. It's time for us to not allow circumstances to dictate who we are in Christ, but let the love the Father has for us dictate that. So with bated breath, they're there waiting and he doesn't die. And when he doesn't die, they think, wow, this guy is what? Supernatural. They call him a God, don't they? They call him a God. Supernatural. Now, Paul could have took a really good opportunity to be quite selfish here. He's on an island. He's escaped from the ship that was taken into Rome where he was going to be suffer terribly in Rome because Abacus, Agabus the prophet, Abacus is that thing you count on, Agabus the prophet had prophesied over him that he was going to have a terrible time in Rome. But he said, well, God's telling me to go to Rome. Yeah, but you're going to have a terrible time. You see, in our consumer Christianity, sometimes when, when God says go and do that, we say, well, I, it's not that comfortable, God, to go there. I don't want to go to Rome. I'd rather go to Malta. There's a nice beach there. Even though it's raining, it's still pretty. In Rome, there's gladiators. They will feed me to lions. I could do all sorts. I don't want to go there, God. He could have taken this opportunity. He's now seen as a God to these people. He could have set up a nice little church in Malta, took some of the glory for himself, a bit for Jesus. He could have done all that sort of stuff in Malta. He could have enjoyed himself. Sunshine six months of the year in Malta. Beautiful. No. What he did was continue to do the ministry and the glorious work of Jesus because he knew his identity. Let's read on. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. That's nice, isn't it? After a shipwreck, need a, need a shower or the, the old equivalent of that. <clears throat> and it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. 
<coughs> dysentery is an awful disease. <coughs> this father would not have been able to enjoy the party with um, these um, people that had come. He'd not been able to meet Paul. He'd not been able to enjoy the, 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 the feasting that would have gone on. Publius was a very important man, like a mayor on the island, so he would have had a lot of resource. And his father was probably in a completely different area of the house and completely sick and with a contagious disease. When I was in India in 2013, um, I was speaking at various places and I got a plane from Delhi to Bangalore and uh, <clears throat> I was hungry. Happens to me occasionally. I was hungry at the airport. And I thought, well, at the airport, you're not going to have any problem, you know, with the food. It's going to be okay. So I sat down at the airport waiting for my plane to Bangalore. And I had a coffee, which was really good. And I had a small, teeny, tiny little pizza with cheese on it and some spices. It was very nice. I just sat there and enjoyed that before I boarded the plane. Didn't think anything of it. Then I arrived in Bangalore, and the first thing I was supposed to do, I got a whole schedule of, of stuff going on. It was Tuesday I arrived. That Tuesday evening, they wanted me to take me into a village area to do a sort of evangelism campaign. So we went into the village area, and before, I think it was after the meeting we had there, they served local, the, the village food in, in this particular place. It was way out of Bangalore City towards uh, the border of uh, Karnataka. And what happened was that this food arrived, and part of it was like curried chicken, and there was something on the plate that, resound, that looked like a ball of clay. It was brown, it was round, and it looked totally inedible. It was called raggy ball, and it was a local delicacy made out of some kind of flour and all sorts of things. And I was supposed to eat this. And usually I'm okay at, you know, eating strange things when I go different places. But this, I just felt a dispeace in my whole being about it. But I still tasted it. That, on the way home, the way back to where I was staying that evening, my word. All, not all of heaven broke loose. <laughs> Everything broke loose. It was horrendous. We had to stop loads of times. We had to get those, you know, the diralite stuff. And basically for the next... Four days, I had scheduled meetings early, late afternoon and evening, but from early in the, in the morning, right the way through, I was just constantly in this problem, to the point where with dysentery, actually, it's pretty nasty, forgive me, we're talking about this on a Sunday morning, but you start to pass blood. It's really bad. So I had this for like three or four days, and then the Sunday morning, I was due to speak five times, we had five services on a Sunday, right the way through to the evening, and the afternoon service is a healing service. So here's the man of faith and power for the hour, suffering from what can only really be described as dysentery, even it was far beyond any kind of man flu you can imagine. And I was supposed to lay hands, literally, people came for prayer in their hundreds at this particular meeting. This church had five to 6,000 people in attendance on a Sunday morning, and this particular healing service was the healing service of the senior pastor of the church, who's 78 years old, been doing it for 40 years, and he asked me, it was a real favor, he asked me to do the healing service. He's never asked anybody else who's gone to, to his community church there to do the healing service, and some big 
big names have been there. So I was really favored, but feeling sick as a dog. And I thought, well, what can I do? I don't want to lay hands on people because this is an infectious disease. You know, I can, if, I, if, I'm not, if there's anything on me, I'll be in problem here. But I just came to that verse to start to acknowledge every good thing that's in me in Christ Jesus. Not the stuff that was coming out of me, but the stuff that's in me. And I start to acknowledge that. And I started to feel strength come. And I was able to stand for three hours that afternoon. After already preaching three times that morning, I was able to stand and lay hands on people and people were being set free and people were being healed. And I was stood with this great man of God, 78 years old, who had been doing this for 40 years, and it was a great privilege to do that. And the enemy wanted to get me off course and not allow me to be involved in that. But God wants us to acknowledge every good thing that's in us. And Paul took hold of that guy. He went in to this guy's room and he prayed for him. And this guy got healed instantly of dysentery. And what happened next was the whole of the island brought their sick people. And Paul laid his hands on them and healed them all. It's interesting. They only said that about Jesus in the Gospels. There's a number of places in the Gospels it says that everybody who came to Jesus, they were healed. But this is a man... You know, you say, well, Jesus was divine. Well, this was just Paul, if you like. And everybody who came to Paul was healed as well. That's what it just says there. And Paul was a man just like you and me. Human being. But he was supernatural because he knew his identity in Christ Jesus. And he knew that he, in his own strength, was not capable of doing one supernatural act. But he knew that God in him, fused together with him, was capable of anything. Just think about it for a moment. In our, on, on TV, in our society, there's so many stories and so many programs about superheroes, isn't there? My wife and I, we got back from a light party last night with our kids. And we taped things because we don't tend to get a lot of time in the evening. And we, we recorded something that's just recently on Sky called Supergirl. Just started this week, Supergirl. But I love all those superhero things. Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, they're just great. And now it's Supergirl. And, and, and I, I'm old enough to remember some of the old kind of... Um, TV series of these things that used to be on when you were little. You know, on a Saturday, you'd watch the wrestling at lunchtime, and then you'd go out and play football, you'd come back, and then Spider-Man, the A-Team, would be on. Anybody remember those things? And there's another one, Wonder Woman. Remember Wonder Woman? Well, Wonder Woman, especially as an adolescent boy, I enjoyed Wonder Woman on so many levels. (laughs) It was deep, wasn't it? There's another convert to Wonder Woman. Okay, and, but basically, one, one, one thing that happened with Wonder Woman, unlike Superman, who got in a phone box, which you couldn't do these days because there isn't any, got in a phone box and changed and became Superman, Wonder Woman just span around, very graciously span around, and she became Wonder Woman. From, from the average sort of lady in the street, she became Wonder Woman. She span around. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just so neatly clue this in to some theology. Here we go. In the book of Zephaniah, it says this, that God, the Father, sings over you and quiets you with his love. 
And the word in the Hebrew for singing over you is he sings by spinning around. What does that give you a picture of? It gives you a picture of, as you and I know the Father's love, as, you, as you, we know he sings over us, we're spun around, we're transformed into a brand new creature. The women become wonder women, the men become supermen, and that's the conclusion of the message. Would you stand with me, please? In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.